This is the Wide Awake Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirsten Kazarian. As a child psychologist, I believe the most important part of the work I do is supporting parents by helping them deeply attune to their child and find their own balance of connection, nourishment, and inspiration. To do this, I lean on the practice of mindfulness. Join me in a conversation about raising our kids, raising our consciousness, and trying to stay awake. Welcome to episode 17. Today we're speaking with child trauma specialist and licensed psychologist, Dr. Victoria Eagle. We got a lot of feedback from you guys about our tips for coping with crisis and building resilience in podcast episodes three, four, and five. And we wanted to bring in more information for our community on the topic of childhood trauma and resilience. By speaking with Dr. Eagle, I hope we demystify what happens in the therapy room when working with a pediatric trauma specialist and make it feel more accessible and relatable to parents. Dr. Eagle explains how she uses play to help families process trauma and how she supports parents. Every child's different, and therefore the expression of trauma is not always uniform. Dr. Eagle discusses how she gets to know a child through the assessment process and what she looks for in identifying trauma. Dr. Eagle is also an infant mental health specialist, and so we get to explore how emotional well-being, cognitive functioning, and general child development are impacted by trauma how to use the parent-child relationship to heal infants and very young children. And we tap our mindful parenting skills to better understand how our infant or child's behavior is colored through the lens of our own experiences. Dr. Eagle describes parent self-care as one of the most important things to be doing in order to foster resilience in our child. And she describes what self-care looks like for her and how she uses play and mindfulness in her own parenting. And finally, Dr. Eagle has shared with us many, many resources that she trusts on these topics. And I'll explain how you can get connected with that information at the end of our episode. Welcome, Dr. Victoria Eagle, to the Wide Awake Parenting Podcast. Thank you, Dr. Kazarian. It's so great to be here with you today, and thanks for having your wonderful podcast. So I have so many questions for you. I'm just going to jump in. You specialize in working with young children, and so tell us a little bit about where you trained and what's something about this work that we might not know. Sure. So um, I completed my pre and my postdoctoral work at the Child Trauma Research Program. This is a UCSF program. Uh, it's stationed at San Francisco General Hospital. So this is a major trauma hub in the Bay Area, and uh, it's a clinical. It was a clinical placement, and, but it was within a research study that I worked. And so um, the prerequisite for families being admitted into the research in the clinical study was having a child aged six uh, or younger and who had experienced uh, a traumatic event. So the program provided 
I thought, a pretty rare opportunity to not only offer the trauma treatment, but have pre and post assessment measures to determine exactly how effective the trauma treatment actually was. So the type of treatment that's offered there is um, called child-parent psychotherapy. And under this modality, it's a very specific type of trauma treatment, and it's centered around the relationship between a child and a caregiver. So the client is the dynamic between the two of them, and the healing takes place within that dynamic. And so the parent is present through all of the treatment. Uh, There's a pretty thorough assessment that's done beforehand, and um, the treatment can last anywhere from a couple of sessions to a year. It really depends on how long the family is able to stay within the work. Uh, It's great when they stay for a year. But what I found surprising within the work is that we did standardized testing, standard IQ testing for children that were old enough. And as you know, these tests are, you know, standardized to provide fairly stable readings uh, on measures of intelligence. And we found in some cases really drastic improvements in IQ scores and the emotional well-being scores for the family. So this not only you know, indicated how dramatically trauma can impact child development, but it also gave me hope that the type of treatment that we were providing was helpful. And I think what, you know, I want to just go back over that for our listeners, that is fascinating, which is that usually uh, what you mean by the IQ test scores being stable is we could test a child at six, and then again at eight, and 10, and 12, and usually the IQ is is pretty much the same. Um, And so what you're saying you guys found was that as emotional wellness improved, the IQ scores actually went up. That is amazing. Um, And we're going to touch on a little bit of both because you're so specialized both in working with very young children and their parents, and then also with trauma. So we're going to try and balance our time with you to get to um, kind of understand from you as much as possible about both of those things in the short time we have you here. What do you think, going back to your work with just young children and their parents, what do you think that adults miss or are often uninformed about that's pretty basic to you after all of your experience? Well, I find that people are um, often a little misled as far as infants and babies are concerned. I think that many people assume that because um, children are too young to communicate with recognizable language that they're somehow unaffected by traumatic incidents. And unfortunately, this is just far from the truth. So without the language to process the stimuli or ask questions afterwards, like older children would be able to, the trauma lives kind of solely within the body of the infants and the young children. So these are kids that we had the opportunity to see during the research that we did, but typically parents are not bringing their young infants in for therapy after a traumatic incident. These are kids that I usually see when they're four, five, six years old, um, when they've started to have kind of aggressive outbursts or difficulty attending to classroom instruction or challenges making friends. And I think that a lot of people feel that what would you do with an infant in 
therapy. And I, I thought the same thing myself before beginning tra- training. I remember being, uh, having my first clinical case and it was, I got the referral and it was for a five month old baby and her mother. And my first reaction was, well, what am I going to do here? And, you know, what are we going to do with this young thing? And, uh, what we know is that babies grow in relation to their primary care provider and the environment. So, you know, most of the, the caregivers that I saw were mothers and that tends to be the case when you're dealing with young babies. Um, so the best way to heal is going to take place within that dynamic as well. And I feel that babies are fairly resilient following a traumatic incident as long as their emotional and their physical needs are being met properly and when everybody's viewing everything from the trauma lens and with the trauma lens in mind. So that just means thinking about the trauma when you're helping them. So what's common to see when you have a young baby come in, um, at least for this study that we did, was that uh, the trauma is intergenerationally affecting families. So it's most often that mothers, when they come in with their young babies and the babies experienced a traumatic event, they themselves have pretty lengthy trauma histories most of the time as well. So this affects the way that they make attributions to their baby. So if mamas have a traumatic history of feeling that they're unsafe or that their needs weren't taken care of, if they have a history of violence in their families, the ways that they see their babies and understand their baby's behavior will be colored through this lens. So let's say a baby's been you know, traumatized by an event. And so their reaction might be that they kind of flail uncontrollably due to their biological dysregulation following a traumatic incident. So that might trigger in the mother, the mother's early history of people being violent toward her. And she may describe the baby as being aggressive or as being rejecting. So my work with parents of infants is often centered around the parent's history and helping them to work through um, what Selma Freiberg, she's the creator of the infant parent program at UCSF, she termed that uh, the ghosts in the nursery. So helping parents work through the ghosts in order to adequately see their baby, the actual baby that's in front of them. So I help the parent with developmental guidance and the trauma perspective to understand their child's behaviors and assist them in correctly attuning to the needs of their child. And, you know, as you, I couldn't help but think of this is what we talk about every week on our podcast, um, this idea of seeing our children clearly. Um, That was, thank you so much for sharing that with us. So you described a little bit of what you would do um, in that therapy when you were at UCSF. How is it different than other therapy? And can you give us an example of what your sessions might look like using this style or using um, the current style of therapy that you do in your private practice? Because now you have your own company of your own private practice. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about your therapy work? Sure. 
Um, so in my clinical practice now, I see children of all ages. So the treatment will really depend on the age of the child. And so the information that I gave about the infant and the parent, that would be for maybe a pre-verbal child um, and someone more in the age range of two to six. Um, therapy or treatment would, of course, start with a very thorough assessment process with the parents before I even meet the child with a couple of sessions to um, get to know the child and understand their sense of self and their worldview. And then I also like to bring in the whole family dynamic to see the way that everyone kind of relates to one another. And I start to kind of learn the lingo within the family and learn the rules that the family operate under. Um, and then I'll bring the parent in and sometimes the child, depending on um, the situation, to give uh, some, draw some conclusions based on the assessment and then make some suggestions for treatment. So that can look like a lot of different things. So um, I still use child parent psychotherapy when I'm dealing with children six or under, uh, as long as it's appropriate to have the parent there, which in most cases it is. So the majority of the sessions would involve the parent, and I operate through a play therapy lens of getting to know the child through their own language and their own communication. And so the child leads us along the way. And my role is to help the parent to open the door to treatment um, in the best possible way. So what I mean by that is after the assessment process and talking with the parent, if there's been an extensive trauma history or even just one event, to help the parent to build a narrative to explain to the child why they're there. That, I think, is the most important session along the way is the first one, to let them know why they're there. There's going to be a lot of toys in the room, so it's not just a place that we're going to just be playing, even though that in itself is really, you know, can be really fascinating. But we're here because of this event that's happened or this incident that happened, and here are some of the effects that we're seeing of what this has caused in our lives and, and really putting that in a very transparent way, simplest, you know, simplistically, not going into excessive detail, but opening the door for the child to then walk through and feel safe to do the work that they're here to do. And it's remarkable when you're able to sometimes talk to a child for the very first time about an incident that they either witnessed or that they themselves kind of went through. Um, there hasn't been language before that. And so when you give the opportunity for language to build on the play dynamic, it allows us to draw some inferences along the way. If a child's playing through a pretty aggressive or violent act, you know, rather than just becoming overwhelmed by that, which a lot of parents do become overwhelmed by violent play, it can feel really intense at times, helping them to draw those um, connections between what's happened in their life in the moment. Um, so that might be the way that uh, therapy with a young child might look. And the treatment course could probably also involves meeting with the parent individually maybe once or twice a month. And during that time, it's going to be processing the way that parents react to their child. And I do work with parents in their own, within their own defenses and the parts of themselves that come in to kind of protect themselves when they feel triggered. So I do parent work as it surrounds the child. If it starts to become more of kind of a need for couples therapy or more extensive individual work, 
I do refer out for that. But I do expect quite a bit from parents that they're going to be on board and doing their work personally as well. And then if, if uh, in the case of an older child um, and they have a degree of insight into their own experiences and can kind of go internally, I do use mindfulness with them um, for the first couple of minutes of each session to get to know the different parts of themselves that are kind of there with them protecting themselves against the pain. And that's sort of can be really fun work for children that like to um, talk about the different aspects of themselves and sometimes even give those parts of themselves names and talk about the different ways that they come in to protect them. And so no longer is behavior and symptoms looked at as something to get rid of, but actually something to treasure as protective mechanisms for the child. So helping them to really appreciate all those different aspects and understand the ways that sometimes those aspects go overboard and can cause them issues. So um, the specifics of each session, of course, would depend on each particular child, but that's a general idea. Can you tell us from your perspective as a trauma expert, what do you do when you're working with children and families to identify trauma? What sticks out for you most? What are you looking for? Yeah. So um, often people don't come in because of the trauma. They come in with other symptoms that they're focusing on or behaviors. So I keep my eye out. Um, often, you know, trauma has many different faces. So when children are preoccupied with traumatic events that have occurred or are currently happening in their lives, their inattention to school tasks can resemble ADHD or even learning differences. Um, They may have flashbacks or trauma triggers that affect them during the day at school or with others that may give them a frozen look. And this is sometimes interpreted as the child not listening to directions or being defiant. And of course, one of the most externalized behaviors of trauma survivors is aggression. So when children are triggered by something in their environment that might remind them of the traumatic event or when they feel threatened in some way, they may fight back either in a similar fashion as something that they've witnessed or in a way to sort of correct the experience of how they wish they would have responded during the original trauma. So when I hear about these sorts of behaviors or really any problematic symptoms, I ask questions. I ask a lot of questions. Um, What has this child experienced? So shifting the framework from what psychological disorder do they have to what have they experienced and what may be contributing to the way that they're responding right now. So that includes a lot of different factors, the child's temperament, their chemical makeup, their diet, their nutrition, if they're on medications or how well they're sleeping the dynamics within their family, and then, of course, exposure to traumatic or stressful events. So I conduct a thorough assessment of the family history, the parent and the child and the family dynamics, and and this includes a trauma history assessment to find out about all the traumatic events that could have potentially happened in the child's life, things that parents often can even just forget. And move. I mean, we're, we live so much for what we're experiencing now sometimes, especially if, there's, if our lives are really busy and it's easy to lose track of, oh yeah, you know, there was the dog bite that happened when they were, you know, one or two or 
or something like that. And I also want to know about the trauma that the parents have experienced as well. So I ask about all of that because all of that contributes to a child's well-being. I try not to draw any assumptions until I have enough information. And it's important important for me to gain clarity on any events or situations which may be contributing to the child's well-being and their sense of self. So it starts with questions. Dr. Eagle, I, I wanted to ask, when we talk about trauma, one of the other things that we, we want to also look at is resilience. Um, what do you think your work has taught you about resilience in general and resilience in children? Um, I'm often amazed at sometimes how little assistance some families need to shift their worldview a little bit and start to heal. And at times, all that's needed is a bit of a translation between the parent and the child so that they can begin to trust one another and trust themselves again. I truly believe that below all of the defensive protective aspects of each person is an authentic self who is compassionate and curious. So as a therapist, sometimes all it takes is me seeing the parent for who they are underneath it all so that they are able to extend the same level of care toward the child. I've seen dynamics shift rapidly within families, parents beginning to protect their children the way that they need to be protected, and children beginning to trust their parents, and children starting to succeed in school again, and making friends, and feeling confident and good about themselves. So when a person comes for help from me, I feel like half the work is done already. They're seeking wellness, they're seeking healing, they're seeking well-being for themselves and their families again. And when parents are truly willing to do the work to return back to that place, maybe a place within themselves they've never really fully known, I see marked changes happen fairly quickly. And sometimes even following the most devastating traumatic incidents, children and families demonstrate resilience when the basic foundation of trust is built again. Dr. Eagle, for our parent listeners, what can do you have like a few tips um, for what we can do to foster resilience in our children? I'd say first and foremost is in order to foster resilience in children, it's really important for parents to find some healing for themselves as well. So I've yet to see any child who's struggling where their parent is not distressed as well. Often the entire family system is dysregulated. And as parents, we often put our own needs aside to focus on our children. But really, when it comes to our children, it's part of caring for them, is to really care for ourselves. And so I work with parents around their own self-care and find that when parents are able to find true compassion for themselves and the young child they once were, they're able to witness and foster the resilience in their children. So when you're able to look at yourself and the child within yourself through that compassionate and kind of curious lens. You're able to recognize your child's strengths more easily and help to encourage their resilience. So it could be, could take a number of different ways to get there. You know, self-care is extremely important for any parent, but especially those who have experienced trauma or have children that are distressed. So my follow-up question was, how important do you think parent self-care is? Um, And it sounds like extremely important. Uh, 
beyond self-compassion, um, what does self-care for parents look like to you? Well, it can look like many different things. You know, it isn't always a warm bath and a book, as lovely as that sounds right now. Uh, it can be really, I mean, I, I come back to the therapeutic lens. There's a reason I'm a therapist. I believe in it, but I do believe it could be going to therapy, which if it is good therapy, it's often uncomfortable and sometimes painful, but it's important. And it can also be practicing kindness towards yourself, letting go of the need to be the perfect parent. You know, perfect parents don't exist. We are imperfect. That's the nature of parenting. So I imagine listening to this podcast is probably another great way, you know, taking 20 minutes out of your day or maybe as part of your transportation for your child to or from somewhere to be kind to yourself and listen in this way. And, and parenting is no doubt the most challenging task we face as humans. So having other people to depend on during the process is very important. We're relational beings and we strive toward relating toward others. So the less we're isolated and feel alone, the more we're connected to ourselves and our children, you know, talking with somebody else can be incredibly healing. Dr. Eagle, I've had the honor of working with you and you're very calm and present in person. Does mindfulness play a role in this for you? You know, it's funny. For me personally, before having my own children, I devoted time each day to sit and meditate in this sort of, you know, quiet place. And it was very designated just for meditating. It was a ritual. And then children came in and I found it more challenging to make a specific time and place for it. Um, and of course done in a less quiet way. But I noticed that just by being with my children and seeing the world through their eyes, escaping technology for a bit every day, and just really playing, getting down on the ground and playing, I am mindfully engaging with the world that way. And, you know, when my, my kids were young babies, it was sometimes mindfully breathing or sometimes doing a chant of some sort while I was trying to get them settled for bed. And this was just, you know, a way of calming my own nerves so that I could calm them because it can be nerve wracking. And, um, you know, and with my clients, I utilize mindfulness to help them acknowledge their present physical experience, as well as to notice the different voices within themselves that may speak to them at any given time. So during and after a traumatic event, it's very common for people to dissociate from their bodies. So I use mindfulness to help clients to begin to become embodied again and recognize how their emotions impact the way their bodies feel. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, is there anything you'd like to share with our Wide Awake audience before we end today? Well, thank you to these wonderful parents tuning in on a regular basis to become more present with themselves and their children. Just that alone in itself makes a tremendous impact on our world. So thank you all. And thank you, Dr. Kazarian, for having me on. We covered a lot in this episode. You can connect with Dr. Eagle by going to santacruzchildtherapy.com. And you can find more information about Dr. Eagle, as well as her list of trusted resources, by going to our website, wideawakeparenting.com clicking on show notes, and selecting episode 17. 
While you're there, be sure to leave us your questions and feedback. This helps us to choose the direction of our future episodes. And please share this episode with anyone you think could benefit from this information. And finally, if you get a chance, leave us a rating in iTunes to help other parents find this resource. That is our episode. I'm Dr. Kirsten Kazarian, and until we meet again, be gentle with yourself, courageous on your path, and let's help each other try to stay awake.